0: This evening's reading is from Malachi, uh, chapter 1, verse 6, reading till chapter 2, verse 9, and it's on page 960 of the Bibles. So Malachi, chapter 1, starting at verse 6. A son honours his father, and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honour due to me? If I am a master, where is the respect due to me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you, O priests, who have shown contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? You place defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice... Is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Now implore God to be gracious to us with such offerings from your hands. Will he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations, from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it, by saying of the Lord's table, it is defiled, and of its food it is contemptible. And you say, what a burden, and you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, crippled, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock, And vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. And now this admonition is to you, O priests. If you do not listen, and if you do not set your heart to honour my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them, because you have not set your heart to honour me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will spread on your faces the offal from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this admonition, so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, And I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me, and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, and from his mouth men should seek instruction because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. But you have turned from this way, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people, because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of the law. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Let me pray as we start our time together this evening. Father God, we thank you for your word, we thank you for that passage that we've just had read out for us. Help us this evening to recognise that it is so relevant for each and every one of our lives. Amen. I don't know if you've been watching the Netflix original series, The Crown. Sarah and I have both been really enjoying this series and it's done really well. It's two seasons in and it's already uh, winning lots of different awards. In the crown, we see the portrayal of the royal family and of the queen. And what's really notable is that every time they make a royal visit anywhere, those meeting them pull out all of the stops. No expense is spared, no effort is too great, from lavish banquets to the finest clothes being worn. Only the very best will do. And rightly so. After all, this is the Queen. She's kind of a big deal. So can you imagine just how ridiculous it would be if on one of her international visits, a foreign dignitary sent to welcome her to his country, rocked up in a track suit. His hair's a mess because he hasn't bothered to shower that morning. And instead of an impressive banquet, is holding in his hands a Happy Meal. It just wouldn't happen, would it? Can you imagine just how insulting that would be? This is the Queen, and she's not being paid the respect and honour that she's due. And yet, what we're thinking about this evening is far more shocking and much more serious. We move away from the foreign dignitary to ourselves, and from the Queen to God. And we actually see that the laughable fiction will often be a daily reality in our lives. As we meet with God, King over all things, we can recognise, can't we, that we are half-hearted in our efforts that we make. I look to my own life and my own heart, and I often see that I'm only giving God my second best, if that. And if we're all being honest with ourselves this evening, then we'll acknowledge that half heartedness all too often features in what we bring to God. Our prayer life, when we speak with God, becomes a 30 second afterthought as we fall asleep. Personal time spent reading God's word might be our goal, but it's rarely a reality. The conversations that we have with our colleagues and friends will be absent of anything to do with our faith, with our God. Perhaps a begrudging, yes, I was at church on Sunday, but it rarely goes any further than that. We live in a time where technology enables us to save hours and hours of time, and yet we've never been more busy. And when it comes to it, we have very little time to offer God in our busy schedules even down to our personal ambitions and goals. We'll let our faith shape them a little bit. But ultimately, we're going to do exactly what we want to do, rather than primarily consider what God is calling us to do. This half-heartedness can and often does tarnish every aspect of our lives. But this issue isn't unique to St Mary's, if you're feeling Bit guilty like I am this evening. All unique to the 21st century, we see at the end of the Old Testament that Israel was a nation half-hearted in their offerings to God. This evening we're carrying on in our series in Malachi, where we see a number of discourses, dialogues are going back and forth between God and His people in the Old Testament, Israel. And last week with Tim, we saw that the people questioned the fact that God had loved them. How have you loved them, they asked. And we saw in verse 3 to 5 that God then reminds them that they are a chosen people. Just as he chose to love Jacob, chose to give his promises to him, in the same way he chooses Israel to be his people. This has nothing, nothing to do with them. It's all God. And he says to his people, if You doubt my love, then look back and see that I have chosen you, chosen you to be my people, my children. And maybe this evening you've known that love from God yourself. Maybe once you felt excited about living for God, about giving your all in response to that love. But that was a long time ago. That summer camp. That weekend away, your time at university in the CU, when you first became a Christian, all times when living wholeheartedly for God seemed so exciting, but now, now it's a chore. It's hard work coming to church, going to house house group, being at midweek. Connect and Unite aren't as new and as exciting as they used to be. In short, whether it's being here tonight or praying by yourself in your room, so often we struggle to feel bothered with God. Well, if that's anything like how you feel this evening, the Malachi has three things to say to us as we go into the new year together. And you may have noticed from the reading that John gave to us that Malachi doesn't hold his punches. As we go into the second discourse, the second back and forth between God and his people, we see it starts with an accusation from God, and it is a serious one. It's that half-heartedness we've been thinking about. The people, his people, have not honoured him. They've not respected him. They haven't recognised him for who he truly is. In reply, the people say, How? How have we despised your name? It's a serious thing they're being accused of. And they look around themselves and they think, well, we're not worshipping idols. We're not like the pagan nations around us. We're not committing atrocities and going into unjust wars. So how have we despised your name, O God? And God cuts right to the heart of the issue as he reveals to them that half-heartedness is an insult to him. And this is our first point God is not an afterthought. Have a look at verse 7 to 8. What had God's people been doing? They'd been offering sacrifices to God that were not the best that they had to offer. In fact, if we're being brutally honest, they weren't even the second best or perhaps the third or fourth best. They say this is how much you mean to me, God, as they offer their three-legged sheep that's blind and has foot and mouth disease it would almost be comical if it wasn't so serious god says that they have polluted they have polluted his altar with his half-hearted leftovers a place for worshiping god a place for seeking forgiveness a place for thanking god for all he all that he has done for them and it's been polluted by their lackluster sacrifices Their actions speak volumes. Instead of honouring God, they dishonour him by what they do. Because the blind, three-legged sheep is just the tip of the iceberg. What it represents is a much bigger issue. that the people of God aren't all that bothered with God. You wouldn't treat your governors like this, says God in verse 9. Do you think they would accept your dodgy sacrifices? Give your half-hearted offering to them, to the important people, to your bosses, to the people of influence. Is that going to win you favor with them? No, of course it won't. So if you wouldn't dream of making those kinds of offerings, those kind of gifts to your secular rulers, why do you think God would accept them? Again, it comes back to the issue of where the hearts are at. They don't even think God is worthy of the same effort as their human leaders. I'm sure some of you have got birthdays coming up in the not-too-distant future. I want you to imagine, when it is your birthday, that uh, your partner or your best friend buys you a card. And at the top of this card, it says, Happy Anniversary. But anniversary is kind of scribbled out and kind of messily written above it is, Birthday. And at the top of the card... You see a label, and the label says, reduced to 50p. How does that make you feel? Do you feel special or appreciated? In some ways, it would almost be better if they hadn't gone to the small amount of effort that they went to. God says to his people in verse 10, Oh, that one of you would shut the temple temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you. God would rather the temple, the place of worship, be closed for business than for the people to give him their second best. God is not an afterthought. And yet that's exactly how the people of Israel have been treating him at this time. God is not an afterthought. And secondly, we also see that God deserves our best. Have a look at verse 11. God says... My name will be great among the nations, from the rising to the setting of the sun in every place. Incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. He reminds them of exactly who they're dealing with. He is God over all the earth. You may have heard in history lessons when you're growing up or perhaps when you still are at school, the phrase, the empire on which the sun never sets. And it's a description that's been used a number of times throughout uh, history to describe vast global powers and how, due to their great size, the sun is always shining on some part of their empire. But there's always one thing that these powers have in common. Whether it's the Persian, Roman, or British Empire, they all eventually fall. They never last. The sun will ultimately set upon them. But when it comes to God, well, we see that this is not the case. We've seen that in verse 11, haven't we? That his name is great among the nations. That one day in every land, at all times, there will be his people praising him for who he is and what he's done. My name is great in all the world, God says. But his people, those who know his love and glory most clearly, well, they disrespect that name. For Israel, this heart issue wasn't just a problem among the people, though, but it was also rooted in those responsible for spiritually leading them. And this brings us on to our third point. God requires wholehearted leaders. The priests, those called by God to lead and guide others in worshipping and in making sacrifices. They are the ones, we're told here in verse 13, who say, what a burden. The effort required to honour God properly is too much trouble. What a burden. Can't be bothered. The leaders of God's people were letting the Israelites get away with these disrespectful, half-hearted sacrifices, where well, they should have been saying, no, no, you can't offer that to God. You must be mad. This is the God who rescued us, who created us, who loves us. How dare you offer your second best to him? But instead, what do they do? They give it their stamp of approval. It's okay by them because the effort of living for God wholeheartedly was simply too much to bother with. In chapter 2, verse 1, God gives them an incredibly graphic and serious warning. If they as priests do not listen or take to heart what God says, if they do not honour him, then there will be serious consequences. Perhaps you've seen the film Back to the Future. There's a whole trilogy of them. And the villain in those films is a guy called Biff. And he is really persistent in chasing down Marty McFly, the hero of the films. And in one of the films, it's an epic car chase. And finally, Biff gets what's coming to him. He gets covered in manure. Biff doesn't listen to the warnings of his fellow passengers to slow down, to watch out. And he ends up covered in manure. All over him, his car And his face. It's disgusting. It's the complete low point of the film for Biff, the ultimate disgrace. Well, here in Malachi, we see that if these priests don't listen to this serious warning, don't start leading God's people properly, then they're going to end up with feces on their face. That's what Malachi says here. It's really strong stuff awful, the entrails and the poo of the animals that they're offering to God is going to be on their face if they don't listen. And it's symbolic of how their standing in society will suffer if they don't heed this warning. Verse 9, God says to the corrupt priest, I will make you despised and humiliated before all the people. So we have a serious warning for the priest's But we need to recognize that this warning was given in the context of a serious promise. In verse 4, we see that God reminds them of who they are. Levi was the ancestor of the priests. They were the Levites. And as such, God had entered into a solemn and binding promise with them, a covenant. And this covenant that God had made with them was a promise that if kept would bring peace, life, and a reverence for God. This is why the warning was so strong, because this was what was on offer. If they stuck to it, if they kept the half of the promise as the people's spiritual leaders, their life, peace, and a respect for God was all on offer for them. So what exactly was Uh, their half of the promise how exactly were the priests to keep their covenant with god well thirdly we also see here the serious responsibility of the priests that they held in their role they were called out from among all of the other people of israel to spiritually lead the nation offering their sacrifices to god and teaching god's law to the people And Malachi gives us a very clear image of what the perfect priest should look like. Read again with me, verse 5 to 7. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace. And I gave them to him. This called for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, and from his mouth men should seek instruction, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. This is what the priest should look like. Someone who reveres and respects God. Someone who teaches truth, who says nothing which is false, no lies. Someone who walks in step with God, whose lifestyle is righteous, pleasing to God. Someone who, in doing all this, points people to salvation and helps them to turn away from their sinful lives. Someone who truly is God's messenger. That was what the serious responsibility that these priests held, that they were given. And so we look back with Malachi to the priests of his time, to see if they fit the bill. Do they fulfill these serious responsibilities? In verse 8-9, to we see that the answer is a resounding and devastating no. Instead of living upright lives that please God, they have turned from living God's way. Instead of bringing people to salvation and away from sin, they cause others to stumble. They do the complete opposite and push people away from God. Instead of teaching truth, they show favoritism and pick and choose with God's laws to better themselves. And we've seen from the way in which they accepted the people's half-hearted sacrifices that they didn't respect God at all. They couldn't be bothered to honor him. Ultimately... Uh, Instead of uh, keeping this binding promise, this covenant, they have violated the covenant with God. They have violated God's solemn promise. And you see just how different these two are, can't you, on the screen behind me? These priests, in many ways, could not be further from what God had been calling them to be. This is serious. Serious because they didn't listen to the serious warning. They didn't fulfill the serious responsibilities, which means that serious promise with God was broken. And the life and peace that God offered with it was lost. This is serious because here in Malachi, we see that God's people are lost. And we get to the end of this passage, and we're feeling pretty hopeless. We're left desperately searching for a priest. Searching for a priest who meets this description, who fulfills these responsibilities, who keeps God's covenant. Well, wonderfully, in the person of Jesus, we have our answer, our solution. Because Jesus is the perfect priest. We look to the life of Jesus and we see from the eyewitness accounts that this Jesus is the only one who truly respects God as he honours and obeys his heavenly Father, even to the point of being obedient to death on a cross. We see that Jesus' words are true, that he is truth. I am the way, the truth and the life, says Jesus. We look to the way that he lived, spoke, and acted. And we see that Jesus alone lived a perfect, righteous life. Jesus points to salvation as he points to himself and says, I am the resurrection and the life. He is truly the message of hope to a lost world and a lost people. Jesus is the perfect priest. But he does all that by also being the perfect sacrifice. As we go from the Old Testament to the New, we see this most clearly in Hebrews chapter 7, and it is on the screen behind me. Read these verses with me. Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who came to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens, unlike the other high priests. He does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. This is no corrupt priest. This is the perfect priest who meets our needs. And he does that by offering himself as the perfect sacrifice. Did you spot that in verse 27? He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. This is no half-hearted, diseased sheep, but Jesus offering himself as the perfect, spotless lamb of God. And in doing this, Jesus fulfills God's covenant. He brings life, peace. And verse 25, salvation to those trusting in him. His perfect sacrifice was enough to save us, enough to save us once and for all. It's done. Which means we don't need to sacrifice animals to God anymore, you'll be relieved to hear, to atone for the sins that we have done. As they did in Malachi's day, again and again. The cross was and is and always will be enough. No amount of singing, praying, church attendance, or reading will ever match up to His perfect, unblemished sacrifice. But you know what? The Old Testament, uh, in the Old Testament, sacrifices weren't just about getting right with God; they were also for praising God, for thanking Him, for expressing dedication and gratitude to Him. And the New Testament picks up on that aspect of the sacrificial system as well. We see this really clearly in Romans 12, verse 1, where Paul writes, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in light of the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship we're called to offer ourselves to God. That is, to live in a way that pleases him. Real spiritual worship is living for God in every way, every day. As Christians, we can see that what Malachi is talking about here in this passage applies to us and our lives. In response to the perfect priest offering the perfect sacrifice, thus ensuring our salvation... We can respond by not treating God as an afterthought. By giving our all and our best to him. By prayerfully supporting our Christian leaders as they take on their serious responsibility. But what does this practically look like? To give our all for God. It's easy to say, but what does that look like? For you, what might that look like? Hebrews, again, and this time from chapter 13. Through Jesus, again, it's through Jesus, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. How do we give our all to God? According to this, it's with our bodies, our lips, our generosity, all our lives, all the time. When we use our bodies in this way, well, we can use them in a way which is holy. When we give praise to God, when we do good and share with other people, that is how we offer sacrifices that please our Heavenly Father. Again, let me be really clear, it's not to earn any merit or deserve the salvation that has been given to us but we offer these sacrifices as a way of glorifying God, of saying thank you to the one who has saved us. As we close, some questions for you. Are you living to please him with your words, with your actions and thoughts and desires, or are you simply going through the motions and settling for second best? The God who gave us His all, gave us his only Son, deserves our all in return, deserves and requires our wholeheartedness. In God's strength, and by the power of his Spirit living in us, we can be more wholehearted in how we live as Christians. We need his help, but we can do it if we trust in him. Let me encourage you to go away from this evening and be specific is there some area in your life where you're giving God your second best? What particular temptation are you going to fight that much harder? Are you going to read the Bible more? How? Which friend are you going to speak to? Don't, deal, don't do this because you feel guilt-tripped into doing it. Don't do it because that's how you'll be right with God. Don't do it because Steve Sweet says you should. Examine your life for half-heartedness. Because God is a God who is so, so worth your best. Let me pray. A moment to reflect upon what we've heard from Malachi. and love anew. Uh, Help us to be lost in the wonder of just how good you are to us. And Lord God, let that be what drives us to give our all to you. Help us not to be half-hearted people, but to give you our best. For you alone, Lord, are worthy of our praise, our trust, and our adoration. Holy Spirit, strengthen us now, and in the week and in the year ahead to examine our hearts and lives and to find those areas where we are only offering you our second best. For your glory we pray these things. Amen.